Thanks, Jake. It's so important for us to be reminded that God is living and active. I think, especially at this time of year, and uh, we're going to be talking about the best year ever again today. Um, As we head into this, it's very important for us to get into our uh, to our minds. Does God actually do things? You know, and it's easy to find ourselves living in this sort of faith where it's like we believe in God as sort of a general idea. We come here, we gather. But then when it comes to down to brass tacks of like, does God actually do things and intervene in our world? We find ourselves ha- having a lot harder time uh, wrestling with that. Um, can you move that this way a little bit? It seems to have some, be having some trouble picking it up for some reason. So, um, talking about the best year ever today. So we're a week in, and uh, and we're already. Uh, some of you are just start going to start your, your your brand new year stuff tomorrow. Some of you are already you're a week in to this new year, uh, new reality, and new you. And and there's lots of talk right now about what is going to make this the best year ever. We talked about this a little bit last week. That there's so many options of what is going to make your year better. And there's so many voices saying that okay, well, it's going to be financial security and some sort of making more money either via some sort of side hustle or budgeting properly or some some sort of financial wellness is a thing that is going to make you happy and make 2018 the best year ever. That's one suggestion. The other is relationships. Uh, We're going to get all of our relationships right. That's the thing that you need to work on. You need to work on making sure that all of the people that are dragging you down are out of your life and that your life is only filled with people who give you energy, and that you have open and clear communication with all of the people that you uh, love and are in relationships with. And that's a good thing. And that's one suggestion about where we can invest our time in order to make 2018 the best year ever. The other, uh, another one is career ambition. Uh, Make yourself some goals, right? You know, we're going to make a a mind map of of where we want to be. We're going to give ourselves some deadlines. We're going to some, you know, specific, measurable, all those things. We're going we're gonna to get our career stuff in line, and that's going to make us happy, and that's going to make 2018 the best year ever. And those are all worthwhile things to do. Those are not wastes of your time. I, I, I don't in any way want to disparage that. And, and even the, 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 the last one that we we're going to talk about, like we're going to eat right this year and all those kinds of things, those are, those are worthwhile things to do. But as followers of Jesus, we can believe we do believe that you can get all of those things right, that you can have your, 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 your physical well-being right and your financial well-being right and your career goals all lined out and even be getting along and communicating well with the people around you and still not be having a year that is in any way worthwhile. We believe that there is something more that we're aiming for beyond the, the, the goals that are presented to us by the world. And we touched on this at the end of last week's sermon and I wanted to spend more time here today, that, that Jesus, when asked the question, what is the most important qu- commandment, responded with this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. So in the mind of Jesus, as he presents his teaching, when asked what is the most important thing for us to aim at, he does not say get your physical health right. He doesn't say get your financial house in order. He doesn't say make sure that you're in in clear and and open communication with the the person with whom you're in a romantic relationship. He, he 
say get your career goals oriented properly. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and this is a weird thing to have as the crux of a sermon, but I, I, I think there's something that I need to say out loud to remember about my own uh, job and task. My job most of the time as a pastor is not to teach you things that you don't know. My job as a pastor most of the time is to remind you of things that you, don't, that you, that, that, that you already know but have pushed to the back of your mind. Very rarely am I going to help you with brand new information. That's, and, 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 if, and most of the time, brand new information is not going to get us where we want to go. But it is important for us as the body of Christ to continually remind each other of what is important. And as we get caught up in a lot of goal setting and, and, and all of the rearranging that we want to do in our lives to have 2018 be different, it's easy for this to take a back seat and just get pushed out of our minds. But yet at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus is this message that what is most important for us to do is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also to love our neighbors as ourselves. And all of the law, all of the instruction, all of the, all of the ideas about who we are and who we're called to be, all of the word of the Lord hangs on these two commandments. Now it's Interesting, and this is where I do get into to giving you a little bit of new information, is that there's a context for this story. See, in the context of this story, this question was asked to Jesus by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what is the most important commandment? And they did that in direct response to another question that had been asked to him by the Sadducees. So we've sung songs about these guys uh, and what makes them interesting and unique. What, is, what, what, what do we know about Sadducees? Yeah, there's a sad, you see, right? And, well, but we're, we're going to, I don't know if they were really sad, but Josephus did, uh, Flavia, historian Flavius Josephus did say that they were very mean to each other, that they didn't get along together very well. Um, yeah, Flavius Josephus said that Sadducees, uh, the behavior of Sadducees towards another is in some degree wild, and their conversation with those of their own party is as barbarous as if they were strangers to them. So they seem, maybe they, they, they I don't know if uh, history tells us that they were sad, but they seem to be ornery. Um, but the Sadducees were two different classes of, uh, of, of, of uh, and, and sects within the larger scope of uh, Judaism around the time of Jesus, what, the, what we call Second Temple Judaism, from the time of the building of the Second Temple up into 70 AD. And, and it's interesting because they had, they had serious disagreements about a lot of stuff. Uh, Sadducees did come from this uh, kind of a, uh, aristocratic priestly class. They were, they were, they were, uh, they were uh, families of importance, families that had held power, and they aligned themselves with the, uh, w- with the kind of the ruling empire and, and the, 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 the different kind of empires, Roman and, and uh, Herodian that came in, in uh, throughout that time. Uh, they were also pro-Hellenization. Hellenization was the movement of Greek culture across the ancient world. They wanted to embrace this. That was part of, uh, this, uh, part of the Sadducees thing. They believed that in the, in the scope of their Judaism that they could accommodate and be Hellenistic like the rest of the known world at the time, and that was going to be good for all of them concerned. Uh, and one of the reasons what they got there is that their uh, law came solely from the five books of the Torah, Okay. They only believed in, in uh, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were their five books. They d- disregarded the, the, the other writings. 
in addition to that, they, disregard, they especially disregarded the oral tradition, what we would now call Talmud and Mishnah. They, they, they completely disregarded that and only paid attention to the five books of the Torah. And as such, they did not believe in the resurrection. Okay? So, and I say that because when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we point out that what we come to is this, this resurrection versus no resurrection is their major point of conflict. That wasn't actually their primary primary point of conflict. The primary point of conflict is like, what is the place of the Torah? Does the oral tradition have a place alongside Torah or does it not? Uh, as we see, the, the Pharisees ha came from a different thing. The Pharisees were really a populist movement. They didn't believe in the, aristocl uh, the, the, the aristocracy. They didn't believe in class uh, adjustments in the same way. And there's actually a, a fair, one of the Pharisaic writings said that, uh, I, I forget the word, but basically an outcast or a word in Hebrew which means someone who had born, been born of illegitimate birth, someone, a person who had been born between two people who by law could not get married, that they could know more of the law than someone who was of the priestly classes. That directly confronted uh, the, the attitude and the understanding of, of the Sadducees. The Pharisees were a much more populist movement, uh, open to everyone. But at the same time, they believed in cultural separation. They believed that Hellenization, becoming like other cultures, was one of the things that was keeping the people of Israel from experiencing the coming of the Messiah. So that's why they had this separation. That's why they, they tied themselves off and, and, and literally tied the, the, uh, the, 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 the words of the law around their heads and also blinded themselves, wore blinders so that their attention would be solely focused away from the things of this world to solely focusing on, uh, on the things of the Lord. That's why there was a Pharisaic prayer, I think, uh, that, that many of us have heard, that, I, that they would wake up in the morning and say, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave, right? So this is a not a popular, while it is a populist movement, is it is a populist movement that, that, that defines itself in opposition to, uh, to foreigners and outsiders and those who are not part of the same class. They did believe in the oral tradition, and they did believe in the resurrection. So this is their conflict that Jesus is getting sucked into. And in the midst of this, Jesus gets sucked into this conflict by the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, coming to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, this is a person who's starting to get a lot of attention. This is a person who's starting to gather a following. So these people who are part of the ruling sex as is want to understand on whose side of this battle are you, uh, uh, are you standing? Are you, are you with us as the Sadducees? Are you with the, the Pharisees? Are you with some other group? So that same day, the Sadducees, to say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. Since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. And the same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. And finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? It's okay to laugh at this story. It's a funny story. Like, it's a, you're supposed to laugh at this story. It's supposed to be sad but also bizarre, like that this poor woman had, went through seven husbands. And, but it, for the Sadducees, this story pointed out the ridiculousness of the, to them of the resurrection, right? That was, in their minds, how could this possibly be? This poor woman is going to be divided between the houses of seven men in eternity? Like, that's, what, what kind of ridiculous eternity are we talking about? But Jesus responds. He says, 
Jesus replied, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And I am thinking I'm going to begin every argument that I have in 2018 with that line. I think that that's the perfect first line to any argument. Everything I'm going to start is going to be like, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Um, So at the resurrection... People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his his teaching. So this is the equivalent of a like, bam! You know, Jesus, Jesus, because he, one, he rejects their entire construct. He's right, he's like, Marriage is a temporary thing that exists for us as humans. It will not exist in eternity. So he just wipes away the entire, like, oh, I'm so clever conversation that they're having. But then he also jumps in by saying, like, but wait a minute. You guys don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, I'm going to go back to the five books of the Bible that you actually care about so much. Doesn't God say, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living, right? They don't have an argument for that. So all of a sudden, Jesus declares himself not to be a Sadducee, right? And not, but also finds himself not playing along with their constructs. Now, this is interesting, because hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, because they're like, oh, well, maybe this guy's on our side now. Sweet. Uh, so they, they start to ask him, well, what? One of them, an expert on the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law, right? This is very important for them. And for the Pharisees, what do you think that their, their greatest commandment would be? Any guesses? No, actually, it would have been this, the one that Jesus said. Because <laughs> in, the, in, in the Hebrew tradition, there's a prayer that is said every morning that comes from Deuteronomy. It's the Hero Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord, is, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, and, and everyone repeated, included the Pharisees, would have repeated that prayer every single morning. So when they ask Jesus what the most commandment is, he repeats to them the line that they say every morning and have said every morning their entire lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And this is where he jumps in and adds something extra that the Pharisees would have been less comfortable with. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two statements. So Jesus agrees with the Pharisees, avoids the, the Pharisees' constructs as well, because he says not only is it about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we know that, it's about loving your neighbors as yourselves. And he dismisses both categories in doing this. Because as Jesus says this, this is not about arguments about Talmud versus Torah. This is not about arguments that the Sadducees and the Pharisees were having about separation versus syncretism. This is not about arguments about which teacher we should listen to, which rabbi's teaching we should pay attention to. Jesus is saying, you can argue about that all you want, but what God is interested in is what is the direction of your heart? What is the action of of you, what are your actions towards other people because of the direction of your heart? All of the infighting that your different sects are have, uh, sex, S E C T S, sorry. 
All the infighting that your, your sects are, are having are irrelevant in light of loving the God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of your arguments, all of your debating, all of your, all of your uh, public declarations of, of affiliation uh, to one party or the other are disregarded in light of loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus really nails this down, that what is most important for us to do is, to, to, is not to, to affiliate ourselves with one group or the other, but rather to point our hearts fully towards God with everything we have and to live in such a way that tangibly benefits those around us. What's unfortunate is this is easy to remain ethereal, right? And it's easy to be like, oh, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's easy to be like, I do that, that's wonderful, and then just go about our business and, and, and have no direct effect on our actions on a day-to-day basis. But the reality is if we're going to be followers of Jesus and followers of his scripture, we're not left an option of having love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as ourselves remain an abstract idea. We're not allowed for that just to remain a vague feeling. This needs to be translated into action. Because Jesus, whenever he's asked questions about what this looks like, puts it in ways that are too stark for us to ignore. You know, in the book of Luke, Jesus is talked to and asked a very similar question by a teacher of the law. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a person who believes in the resurrection. They're a teacher of the law from the Pharisaic sect. And, they, and he says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what's interesting is Luke goes very quickly to this next line, but he wanted to justify himself. Right? So this is a person who understands the law and the prophets. This is a person who understands what the two greatest commandments are. But in the midst of that, he wants to put himself in a place where he doesn't actually have to change anything that he does. He wants to make his own actions okay. And in the midst of this, in his desire to, to, uh, to justify himself, he said, okay, who is my neighbor? What are the boundaries around those people that I have to love as myself and those who are on the inside of my circle of influence and those who I can put on the outside and not care about. And most of you know this story. Oh, shoot. Who is my neighbor? Jesus responds in a way that many of you, are, most of you are familiar with. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. 
Which of these three, Jesus responds, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which is fascinating because when he's talking about loving our neighbors as ourselves, we want to say, say, who fits into this class of people that deserve my attention and who is on the outside of that? And Jesus upturns that whole scenario and says, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, we make ourselves neighbors to everyone that we encounter by showing mercy on them. So there is no action that someone can have or no identity that someone can have or no, or no idea that someone can hold that places them outside the sphere of neighbors. It is our responsibility as people who follow Jesus to, to, to make ourselves neighbors to those we encounter, as is uh, quite familiar to, uh, to, to, to some of us who went to a certain school, your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position. Sorry, that's a bit of an inside joke. So this is a, yeah, I know. I, will, I just wanted to get that out there so I could then explain the, the context. So it's funnier if we do it backwards. Um, I'm a professional. Uh, the, uh, so we were all taught preaching uh, idea, we were all taught preaching from the same textbook by a guy called Haddon Robinson, and Haddon Robinson was the forefather, forefather of a, a style of preaching called big idea preaching, and his principle was that in every sermon you have one idea, and you just bang that idea over and over again. You don't have time to get anything else across, you just have one idea, and I sort of agree with him, except Haddon Robinson took this to the nth degree, where he would just literally write one sentence and repeat that one sentence in his sermon 100 to 200 times. Like, and I heard him speak at Briar, I heard a tape of him speaking at Briarcrest where he spoke on this parable. And he said the line, Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet. And he said that. 700 times in 25 minutes, like at least with that exact same intonation every single time. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see. Like it's very, if any of you are familiar with uh, with uh, British comedian with British comedy, it's very Stuart Lee. It's almost it's 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 very annoying. Like, but but he it it knocks this down that our neighbor, the circle of who becomes our neighbor, is not limited by those who share our ethnicity, who share our uh, our geography, or even who share our religion. Our neighbor is anyone whose need we see, whose need we are in a position to meet, and if. It is incredibly important, and if all the law and the prophets hang on us loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's incumbent on us to recognize that that includes all people. Go and show mercy. Love for our neighbors cannot remain a vague idea, but it must be translated into action, into mercy and kindness for those who are in desperate need of it. Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He turns the temperature up even higher on this idea and this is something that you may be familiar with as well. And there's also an inside joke, but I won't get into that today. But, but Jesus says in Matthew 25, later on, he's talking to a different group of people. He's he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory, 
and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne, and the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go visit you. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those who are on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus is clear in this statement that our eternal destiny has something to do with the tangible action we take towards those who are in need. Our ability to call ourselves inheritors of what he has given is connected to the attitude and the actions we take towards those who are in need. He could not be more clear. And I'm convicted by this, and you ought to be convicted by this as well, that our, this is not a trivial matter. We are talking about eternal destiny here. And the way that we treat specifically those who are in need matters. So if we're going to be talking about the best year ever, if we're going to be talking about, about making this year the kind of year that we want to have, the kind of... Simon, Isaac, just go to the next slide. If we're going to talk about this being the, the best year ever, then we are going to need to start talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I'm going to ask you the question... As you pursue the best for 2018, what are you doing to make your heart love God more? What are you doing that puts you in the presence of God more often and in deeper ways than, you've, than you have before? Are you going to change habits of, of giving more time to the Lord during the day so you can be in his presence? Are you going to read something? Are you going to listen to something? Are you going to engage with something that causes your mind to dwell not on the details of the day, but on the glories of an almighty God? What are you going to do that's going to do that this year? And I'm, I don't want to put, you know, we've got Bible studies. Those are a great way to start, you know, like I think. And I don't want to give you like a you have to do one thing, but, 
but if we want 2018 to be the best year ever, what are we doing that's going to cause our hearts to love, cause our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength to love God more? What is going to be different about what we do that is going to place us in a position to be more awed and inspired by who God is and what he's doing in the world? Go to the next one. What are we doing tangibly that helps us love our neighbor more? What are we tangibly doing to put ourselves in the, the sphere of those who are in need? What are we doing to show kindness to those who need kindness? And again, I'm not, I don't have a specific plan for you to follow, and I'm not doing this to make you feel guilty. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel, oh, well, I'm not doing enough and I'm a terrible person. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. I'm just saying that if we're going to truly pursue the best for, of what God has for it, for us this year, then part of that means loving our neighbors as ourselves and placing ourselves in a position where we are, where, where we are able to see need and able to meet need. What are we going to do that's gonna, in 2018 that's going to be different from 2017? This is important questions for us to ask because there's so many ways that we can go and so many things that we can spend our time on this year that, that are, 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 are trying to make this year different. But if we don't have at the core of what we're trying to change and at, the, and, and at the center of what we're trying to do differently to make this the best year ever, if we don't have loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not going to work. And if it doesn't involve loving our neighbors as ourselves in a way that makes a tangible difference beyond just vague feelings, if we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, it's not going to matter. So it's incumbent on us as followers of Jesus, to ask ourselves these hard questions, to have these conversations with those people we love around us. What are we going to do differently in 2018 to love God more, to love our neighbor more? Because that is what we've been called to, and that is where we're going to find our joy. Let's pray together. God. God, we thank you that you have not held back from us what is the most important commandment. We're thankful that in the complexity of the world in which we live, that the hope to which you have called us is still relatively simple, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And why, while that task is complex... And it's difficult to, to, to decide how we're going to do that with the limited time and resources that we have. It, with the problem that we have is not a complex problem, it's just difficult. It's just hard to prioritize you. So we ask that you help us to do that. Help us to put you first today. Help us to think hard and to spur one another on to love and good works because we understand what is truly important this year. Not the money, not our health, not our relationships. All of those things are good. But until we love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and, and love our neighbors as ourselves, then, then the rest is, is not going to add up the way we want it to. So as we ask ourselves these questions, help us to, to be brave and courageous as we do it, but also help us to come to concrete conclusions that bring blessing to the world and joy to us and glory to you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.